Welcome to Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagari. And today we're talking about a Japanese classic from 1964, Woman in the Dunes, directed by Hiroshi Teshigahara. This guy, uh, it's been on my radar, but I haven't ever, 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 you know, really dug into his work. He passed away in 2001. He's kind of a underground cinephile guy. Not everybody talks about him, but the people that do talk about him rave about him. And finally, we've we've broken that barrier here on Oscar Sunday. Woman in the Dunes is an amazing movie. Was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the 37th Academy Awards, and then the following Academy Awards, uh, 38th, Hiroshi Teshigahara was nominated for Best Director. So that happened a lot back in the day with the uh, the uh, foreign films. I'm not quite sure what the reasoning is. It has something to do with when they came out here in the U.S. Uh, but th- they'll be split a lot. We've noticed that a lot with, uh, you know, there's old like Federico Fellini movies where his, his movie gets split into two different Academy Awards that happened to Kurosawa at times. So here we are again, doing, doing a foreign language film. And I, I got to say, man, this was, this was something else. You know, this is a two and a half hour intense, intense movie. And, and I, I fucking loved it. You know, we both went in blind and uh, I, 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 for one, had a blast. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, you know, you know what I like, what I don't like. I, I was dreading this one a bit. Two and a half hour Japanese film. I was like, oh boy. And then I thought, you know, if this is a drama, it's going to take me a few days. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> um, this is not, I, I don't get why this is labeled a drama on a lot of sites, including IMDb. This for me is a straight up psychological horror film about a man's sanity just unraveling under, you know, imprisonment. Uh, kept reminding me of the lighthouse. Mm, yes. Um, yeah. Like I like seeing movies where I'm like, okay, Robert Eggers clearly watched this too. <laughs> and I just was, I was dragged in. Like I watched it in one sitting and I was not expecting to do that. And it's a, uh, it's a very odd film for 1964. You didn't see a lot of this shit in films like this or films of yeah. this time. That's why I love watching foreign cinema from this era because it's, you know, as we saw when we did um, Rashomon, it's a completely different animal. We don't see, you know, people were experimenting overseas with different, you know, storytelling devices with, you know, adult content. And over here in America, we were fucking neutering ourselves. So I love seeing, you know, creativity abound. And this definitely counts. For sure. For sure. Uh, Yeah, I was, I was, I was like pleasantly surprised it's got crazy good scores across the board. You know, IMDb 8.5 on Letterboxd 4.4. I believe on Rotten Tomatoes, it's still at a hundred percent. So it's, yeah, it's just, it's a huge, huge movie critically acclaimed. Uh, and I'm glad we both have seen it. Um, something that I've been wanting to do on this show for a long time that I've always wanted to do on any podcast really is just kind of bullshit about what else aside from one of the dunes that we've both been watching the past week. Uh, and I know we're on the same page with some stuff, obviously, Woman in the Dunes. Uh, obviously, we both are huge, huge film fans, but we occasionally will watch TV. And when Mr. Vince Gilligan makes a TV show, you and I seem to get obsessed. Uh, Better Call Saul. Uh, if, you, if you're listening to this now, it's already Sunday, and tomorrow there will be episode, what is it, episode eight or nine? Nine episode nine will be out uh, on uh, tomorrow tomorrow night. I cannot wait. But episode eight, 
you know, we had that, we had about a month, month and a half gap there between, uh, you know, they split up the last season here of Better Call Saul. Um, good night. That episode eight was unfucking real. And I don't, we don't really ever bring up TV shows on here, but I know we both, we texted each other after the episode ended and we were both like, holy hell, like <laughs> Vince Gilligan has somehow made a show that is, in my opinion, on par with Breaking Bad or better. He's, he's sticking this landing like nobody's business. And we know which characters live and which ones die. Mo- mostly. You know, we know Saul is going to keep going, right? We know, we know Jimmy's going to be okay. We know Gus is going to be around. But for some reason, I still get this crazy feeling that, like, is Gus about to die? <laughs> you know? And, and that's power. That is, like, pure power. And this show, more than any other show that I've seen uh, in the in recent years is so cinematic the way it's shot the way it's written the patience that it has with the characters is unbelievable and i just wanted to kind of open the floor and talk about that maybe talk about some other movies you've been watching uh throughout this past week because you know we don't stop you know we have these podcasts we do you know we do film gas and we do beyond the bat we do oscar sunday but in between, we're also watching a lot of stuff for ourselves. And I wanted to kind of like hear, hear what you've been, what you've been getting into. <laughs> yeah, this was, uh, I, I was, I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. Uh, I was actually just talking to somebody earlier about how impressed I am that Gilligan is able to add stakes to a prequel. Like that's an incredible uh, talent that very few writers have. I see there's so many prequels that, don't have any tension because you know who's going to make it out. But somehow with this show, we know who's going to make it, but it still feels incredibly tense at every moment. Yeah. And even the characters, you know, I love that we've gotten characters like, you know, Lalo and Kim who are just amazing and, you know, worthy successors to this world. Uh, I, I didn't think Breaking Bad could be followed, but Vince, God damn. I mean, I'm wondering, like, what is he going to do next? Is he going to stay in television? Is he going to, does he have film ideas? Like, I want to, I, I want to follow this guy's whole career forever. <laughs> I'm, I'm in awe just watching his words translated on screen. It's a, he's one of the greatest writers I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I suck at that for sure. I think he's clearly found a niche here uh, in, in New Mexico. And I would be okay with him staying there forever, you know, and keep, keep making different shows that are attached to breaking bad in some way. Cause he's, he, he, he has an empire here. He has an empire of amazing characters, very realistic characters, very relatable scenarios. And somehow, some way, you know, here we are, you know, better call Saul's approaching its end. And with breaking bad and better call Saul combined, that's 120 episodes that are almost all perfect. And I can't, yeah, I, I can't thank him enough. You know, uh, again, I don't go on a limb and watch a lot of TV shows, but with him, it's different. You know, uh, I, I feel like I'm in good hands. I'm going somewhere. And even if I'm not totally going to be satisfied with the ending of the show, which I'm sure I am, I'm enjoying the ride so much. And that's how I felt about breaking bad. I was like, I just, I'm having fun episode to episode, the space between the notes. I'm having a good fucking time, but uh, what other movies have you been watching? Well, I've been doing um, my own project. Um, I've been buying a lot of DVDs over the past couple of years. Just stuff I no, see. No kidding. Yeah, I know. It's a total surprise. 
but uh, <laughs> you, you've only got like a thousand of them. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I buy like three or four movies a week. It's a problem. Um, <laughs> but I have just an, a giant shelf of DVDs, most of which I've never watched. I've been stockpiling for the podcast or for, you know, classics I see cheap. And I'm like, I should have that. I'm going to be a film teacher at some point. I should own these movies. So I'm, I'm just building them up. And I realized, you know, I'd like to know, I'd like to actually watch some of these. So I'm just going from A to Z and just clearing them out. And I'm towards the end of A. Uh, this week, I watched Amistad, Steven Spielberg's 1997 biopic of a group of Africans who were kidnapped by Spanish slavers, mutinied, killed their captors, ended up in America, and were put on trial as property. And it's a two and a half hour uh, courtroom drama starring Anthony Hopkins, Jaiman Hunsau, Matthew McConaughey, Morgan Freeman, Stellan Skarsgård, Pete Postlewaite. It's an amazing cast. And uh, a very enjoyable, very upsetting movie that I think is a good chunk of American history that not a lot of people know about. So definitely check it out. Worth it. And it's a Spielberg movie to cross off your list. So there you go. Yeah, you you don't have very many left to not I don't. I've, Spielberg. I've worked my way through his career my whole life. I've only got like I can count on one hand how many I've got left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's cool. You're you're nearing the end of that. Uh, we've said multiple times uh, that Spielberg is probably the most important American filmmaker to exist. So that's always nice to knock out more of his stuff. Uh, I've been I've been having kind of a one of those movie fan moments where you're like, okay, why do I do this? Uh, what what is the point for me? And what do I really want to accomplish while I'm watching movies? What's going to affect me the, the, the greatest? And so I've had kind of like a let me knock out some classics type type uh, type vibe going on the past week. That has a lot to do with watching Woman in the Dunes, right? Was It's kind of like, okay, I'm in that mindset. I, I'm ready to watch some foreign movies, some, some heavy hitters. So I've watched uh, a couple uh, Tarkovsky movies, which I've never dug into his stuff before. I watched uh, Ivan's Childhood, which is fantastic, 1962. That's on Criterion right now. Uh, really, really, really good movie. Just, uh, I don't want to spoil any of these movies. You know, I, I'm glad. You know, I think we're on the same page with that. I, I haven't seen Amistad, so I'm going to watch that soon. Uh, Ivan's Childhood is just a great example of the effects of war on a child. Uh, really good. So that was my first Tarkovsky. Then I watched Mirror from 1975, which is straight up my alley. Weird as hell. Stream of conscious type movie. Reminded me of David Lynch for sure. Reminded me of Twin Peaks. Reminded me of Mulholland Drive and Blue Velvet, all that jazz. So um Loved that one. Like, really, really loved that one. I didn't quite understand most of it, but I loved it. Uh, the vibe was great. Some incredible shots going on. There's one specific shot of a woman who's, like, levitating that I couldn't believe was happening uh, at, a, at a movie in 1975. So that was cool. Uh, and then I've uh, been watching, you know, fucking this director, uh, Teshigahara. I've been watching some of his movies because uh, he's, got, he's got four on Criterion. About a year ago, I watched this documentary called uh, Antonio Gaudi, which is uh, that architect that, you know, has a bunch of really cool stuff in Spain and Barcelona. And when I went to Barcelona as a, as a teenager, I was like, man, this stuff looks so cool. We went to the Gaudi, like there's like a museum and a shop that you can go to and check out some of his stuff. And so I watched that documentary. Really cool. Had no idea that he also is the guy who did Woman in the Dunes, you know. So this past week, I made that connection and I was like, OK, let me watch more stuff. So I watched The Face of Another from 1966, 
great movie uh would be great for filmgasm it's a i think it's a good pairing with woman the dunes very psychological very odd very very eerie at times and a great score great cinematography uh and then i watched his uh, directorial debut from 1962 called pitfall that movie is so cool and i think connor you would love this one it's about a guy who early on in the film uh he he dies but he basically becomes a ghost and he's watching how his death affects, you know, the people around him. So cool. And of course, you know, this domino effect happens and is got some gnarly stuff going on in it. And some really cool themes uh, would also be a great filmgasm. So I'm realizing that this guy, this director is one of the masters of, of, of eerie psychological kind of borderline horror movies. And I'm like, this is, this is like our stuff. This is like what we fucking get off on. So I'm uh, really glad I took that, that dive into his work. All that stuff's on Criterion. So I, I've been having a blast kind of going back and watching, watching this stuff. And then the most recent one I watched was uh, one of the most, you know, influential movies of its time, Ingmar Bergman's uh, The Seventh Seal. Man, good God. <laughs> that's, a, that's a crazy movie. Uh, surprised it would, took this long for me to get to it but i finally did and i really wish it would have been out for some oscars because i think it'd be a perfect movie for us uh, got some really really interesting religious religious you know themes going on and a unbelievable performance from max von Sydow. so I, i'm glad i knocked that one out and bergman's not a guy i know much about so felt good to go down tarkovsky teshigahara and ingmar bergman all in the same week just knocking stuff out. So I've been having, I've been having a great week and uh, woman in the dunes is kind of a catapult catalyst for that. You know, a, a movie that I'm going to watch this for Oscar Sunday. So I might as well knock out some big time stuff. Well, when I read in the trivia for woman in the dunes that it was one of Tarkovsky's 10 favorite films, I yeah. was like, okay, that's why it's here. That's why we're doing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. I didn't know that until I was watching, you know, I was watching Mirror and, and, and Ivan's Childhood. And I was like, man, why have I not watched Tark- Tarkovsky? This guy is so far up my alley. He's obsessed with unconventional stream of conscious, just like let things happen as they, as they will. And man, it's rewarding. So yeah, when I saw that, I was like, oh, perfect. This is, this is great. <laughs> I did a, um, political comedy double feature that I would oh. very much enjoyed. Um, I had a, a double feature DVD. I decided to watch both. First up was uh, the American president, the fuck perfect yeah. combo of Rob Reiner and Alan Sor- or Aaron Sorkin and Alan Sorkin. Who the fuck's that? But um, <laughs> it was such a great look into what America should be politically. And mm. that just made me so I was I felt like I was in a fantasy land. Like I want to my whole review was like, I want to live in Sorkin's America because there's a sense of justice there. But, you know, a political love story between Michael Douglas and Annette Benning was just delightful. Seeing Michael J. Fox as an overworked political analyst who just loses his fucking mind halfway through was great. That was a delight. And then I followed that with um, Dave, 1993, Ivan Reitman film, which was just so crazy um the president's an asshole and he has a stroke while banging an intern so they go find a lookalike to stand in for the president until they can figure something out and this lookalike's a really decent guy named dave who decides to actually use his new position to help people and it's it's kevin klein and sigourney weaver 
Frank Langella is the bad guy. He plays such a great asshole. <laughs> and that was just a, a great day. Just, you know, living in a 90s political fantasy world where people actually gave a damn about the office they hold and actually wanted to use it to better the world. I've, I've never lived in that world, so I, I don't know what it looks like. <laughs> Yeah, it's it is it is uh it's not a political movie, it's a fantasy movie. Yeah. It felt like that, and that fucking made me sad. But the whole time I'm like, I like this movie. So yeah. Yeah, good stuff. I haven't seen Dave, but the other the other uh, obviously I'm I'm a fan of because I love Sorkin. So uh yeah. I'm glad I'm glad you knocked that one out. And I, I knew you'd like that. And Internet Benning is just the shit. And at this at this stage in her career, you know, she's just wonderful and can't get enough of her. Her her and Douglas together is a cool a cool couple at that time the 90s well i love martin sheen as the chief of staff who's like you know michael douglas's best friend who's now calling him mr president he's like just call me andy please they're like they're playing pool together and shit yeah, yeah. and yeah. he has that moment where he's like you're an idiot what are you doing this for and he's like you called me mr president like it's such a great oh man i like aaron sorkin is a fucking madman when it comes to dialogue i don't know how he does he can make the most boring shit absolutely fascinating i'm i'm in awe of that yeah, yeah. He just takes uh takes the basics and then he takes two guys or or you know, two people and they walk down the hallway, they're talking, you know, the walk and talk. Oh and, you, and you're enamored. And yeah. Walk and talk is masterful from Sorkin. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I'm glad you knocked that out. I, that seems seems like we both knocked some stuff out right up our alley. And what better way? You know, that's the kind of stuff we do in our own time aside from these these shows. Just it feels really rewarding when we both get to do a, a, a going in blind to a movie like Woman of the Dunes, and we get to kind of experience that. I'm doing this because it's for the show, but once you get halfway through, you're like, I would watch this anyway. This is this is really good. This is something I'm going to have uh, now in my brain forever, and that's that's awesome. I definitely definitely this is not my last time watching Woman of the Dunes. I will rewatch this movie. I'm going to try to buy it. Uh, <laughs> fucking amazing. Well, yeah, I know, I know, but I'll, I'll I'll find I'll find my way. I I want I I want to watch more stuff from from this director from Teshigahara. He's he's awesome. So, uh, I think a cool way to kind of highlight this kind of filmmaking would be to do a top five Japanese films. So we both we both came up with a list. Uh, you know. We haven't seen, uh, you know, a crazy amount, so it wasn't this insane pool to choose from, but it feels like there's enough good stuff that we both care about to kind of talk about here and go back and forth. Uh, so I have some honorable mentions that I'll, I'll, I'll uh, talk about later. I don't want to step on your list. So I, had, I ended up writing nine down, and I had a really hard time narrowing them to five. But uh, I, I, I still wrote them down as honorable mentions. So uh, I'll do that at the end. But, man, whenever you're ready to do your five, go ahead. This one, Yeah, I, I haven't um, explored a lot of foreign cinema. I'm still very much, you know, a novice in that department. I don't want to pretend to be an expert. But uh, Japanese film and what I've experienced tends to be my favorite when it comes to psychological distress. Me too. <laughs> Me too. They know how to craft a horror film in ways no one else does. I don't know what they're doing differently, but it's, it's, it's art. So I have yeah. one drama and four horror films. <laughs> That's fantastic. I'm, I'm so ready. One drama and four horror. 
Good, 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 good. Uh, my number five is the um, most recent film on my list. Uh, last year's uh, foreign language film winner, Drive My Car. Nice. Hamaguchi. Yes. Yeah. This was a gorgeous film and a very aware film about just how hard it is to grieve when you're in pain, like the main character of that film is, you know, when your wife cheats on you and then dies before she can say anything about it. And you knew like, what do you, how do you handle that? And it's just watching a man kind of slowly come to terms with the fact that he, he can't. And it's a very poignant film, very funny at times, very dark, very sad. It's a good mixture of pretty much everything. And I'm, I'm glad it got um, best picture nomination. It was definitely a, a great film. So that's where I'd like to start. Fuck yeah, man. Yeah, I love that movie. Um, I I was surprised when I saw that it was up for Best Picture. Surprised that it got the love that it got because it is a three-hour drama, like straight-up drama. And I fell in love with it pretty quickly. I realized, okay, this is, this is a cool pace. This is going to be patient. It's going to be... It's not gonna. It's not gonna introduce people without giving you something toward you know, giving you something to chew on. So yeah, Rice Rice K Hamaguchi is a guy that I need to see more work of. Uh, he's clearly clearly got a, a, a touch and a, a you know control. And from what I've heard, he has he had two movies come out last year, and a lot of people who are fans of his said the another one's better. And I'm like, okay, well then I need to see that, you know, and he's got, he's got tons of movies, you know, you go on his IMDb or his letterboxd and he's a pretty beloved guy. And uh, I think, I think we both were impacted enough by drive my car to want to go back at some point, watch more of his stuff. The biggest problem with, you know, like accessing foreign cinema in, in this country is that it's not, there's never a spotlight on it. You have to find it yourself. It's never really, you know, it doesn't get major theater releases often. It doesn't, you know, you really have to, like uncover it yourself and know these directors and follow them. And that yeah. kinda, you know, that's, that's hard work sometimes, especially when you've got, you know, a full life. And I, I like that. I found this guy uh, this. Yeah. I definitely want to check out his other film. His, his pacing is so deliberate. The opening credits are like an hour into the movie. I've never seen that before. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's it was cool. This was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm glad that's in your, that's in your list. That's one of my honorable mentions. That's definitely one that I, I wanted to bring up at some point. So I'm glad you have it as your number five, uh, man. Yeah. That would be a really cool Oscar Sunday episode. One day I rewatch that monster of a movie and maybe watch more of his work, but you're right. I think, I think part of the point of doing this top five is to shout out some Japanese, you know, filmmakers and some, some stories that we both think are really important for people to hear, hear about, um, because it, it is, it kind of separates the men from the boys, uh, foreign film, foreign films in the United States. There's a lot of people that I know, and I'm sure that you know, that would call themselves, you know, fans of entertainment, fans of TV and movies, but they just are lazy when it comes to watching foreign films because you've got to read. It's not as easy to digest. You can't be on your phone. You can't, you know, you, you, you got to be locked in if you really want to, you know, be rewarded by the story. You and I love that. We love that our, our undivided attention has to go to the screen. That's like what we're all about, no matter what's going on. If it's English or Japanese or Chinese or French or, you know, it doesn't matter. We want to give it that, that, that light of day. So 
I always find it interesting when I meet someone who likes movies and you kind of test the waters with them and see how far have you taken it? How far have you, have you challenged yourself? Do you challenge yourself often or are you always just watching what everybody else is or what's English and English speaking and easy to get to, you know, what's just on Netflix. Uh, I think you and I are, are in the minority where we, we want to chase things uh, and see where they can take us. And it's a big part of doing this top five, man. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy we talked about Drive My Car. It's a great movie. Great score. Jesus Christ. I listen to that score still uh, a lot. Um, yeah, I think it totally deserved what it got at the Oscars. Um, my number five is probably my most popular movie on, on this list. Uh, uh, Studio Ghibli. Uh, Studio Ghibli Ghibli. I know people have their different ways of saying it. Uh, the the uh, source of that word has like an amazing story that Miyazaki's father worked with aircrafts and the Ghibli slash Ghibli, however you want to say it was some kind of aircraft. I, don't, I can't remember. I've listened to the story before and it's got a really interesting, you know, uh, the source of it is really interesting, but my favorite studio Ghibli movie is princess Mononoke from 1997. Um, I love a lot of them and I can make a top five of just those movies for sure. Um, huge, huge fan of, uh, again, I don't want to step on your list. So huge fan of a lot of those movies. But Mononoke is, in my opinion, undoubtedly the darkest of all of them, the most adult, and is, is at times just like horror. And I can't believe it's, you know, classified as an animated, you know, adventure fantasy family movie. It's like, well, if you really sit down and watch it, you know, you're, you're going to see some dark shit. So uh, Miyazaki is one of the greatest, one of the greatest creators we have, we've ever had uh, here on Earth. And I love that these movies have broken through that barrier of foreign language and have become, you know, I'd say a lot of people have seen them because they have the uh, English version, the dub version. Uh, but still the, this, the art, the animation that goes into it, these stories that are so far advanced from what we're used to seeing uh, with our animated films on the, you know, Western part of the world. I, I, you, you're always rewarded when you watch Miyazaki at work, whether it be, whether it be the art, the story, the, the characters, some of the dialogue and how deep it goes, how weird it gets. Uh, Mononoke kind of stands out the most of all those. So I, I had to have it on my list. I love this movie. Uh, regrettably, I missed a chance to see this in theaters uh, back when we worked at Draft House together. Um, do you remember Eli, the dishwasher? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I ran into him not that long ago. We were talking about this. Uh, he he was on like that list of people who got to choose a movie to screen on one of those like employee nights where it's like, at, it's like at midnight or one in the morning and you know, employees are allowed to come for free to watch a movie that a different employee picked, which is a really cool thing. I felt like I was on that list for like, you know, the entire year I worked there and I never got to actually choose something. Yeah. But uh, this guy, Eli chose princess Mononoke and it was just him and Michael, the, the guy who ran the, you know, he's the, quote unquote projectionist uh it was just them two in the theater watching princess mononoke and i was like man i wish i i wish i would have kind of known more about that and i wish i would have gone because seeing this movie on the big screen would be so fucking cool but i am happy that pretty much all these motherfuckers are on hbo max right now and they probably will be forever uh as far as we know so i'm really grateful for that some of the other ones like ponyo uh some of the more kind of childish ones 
are movies I've showed to my, to my, my daughter and she's fascinated by them. So uh, there's kind of something for everybody with studio Ghibli. And I respect that a lot for me. It's Mononoke. Yeah. I've uh, I'm behind with, with Miyazaki. I'm I've only, I've only seen um, two of two of his films, uh, Spirited Away and Howl's Moving Castle. Those are uh, those are good ones to see. <laughs> yeah, neither made my list. Um, okay, okay. So you don't have any studio studio Ghibli. Uh, yeah, Spirited Away. Good heavens, you know, just an incredible, incredible feat. And Howl's Moving Castle is also amazing. I have them all. Pretty much every film he's done is in. Um, what I call the book of filmgasm, my endless list of potential filmgasm episodes. Cause he is a guy we're going to explore on pretty much on both of these shows. I know that, you know, he's got some, uh, the win for spirited away and then he's got some nominations. So I'm sure that he's going to come up with your picks at some point. Yeah. Spirited away is when we'll go ahead and do a Miyazaki, you know, we'll, I would love for you to watch as many, many of them as you can. And I'll do the same. I'll watch the ones I haven't seen and rewatch stuff. And then we yeah. could do maybe a top five Miyazaki, top five Studio Ghibli. Uh, that would be that would be so neat. But yeah, Spirited Away is definitely the, the big one, the mecca of reaching all the corners of the world. And everybody loves that movie. Yeah. Well, I remember it was very special when we went to the Academy Museum in L.A. They had a Miyazaki exhibit. Yeah. That we were not allowed to take uh, photographs in. It yeah. was one of the like the rotating exhibit, and uh, we got to see his his early drawings, a lot of his storyboards. It was it was impressive. It was really cool. Um, and he yeah, is a was, guy who I really really want to just immerse myself in. So yeah, I, I'll I'll do it. I I got no like beef or anything. I just haven't done. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah, I know. I think I think um, sometimes with Oscar Sunday specifically, it's like you're waiting for that opportunity to pounce on certain movies, and it's like <laughs> I think it's kind of up to me to put it on the schedule. <laughs> you're not not wrong you're not wrong and we'll we'll go ahead and knock it out because yeah spirit away is the only foreign language you know animated winner um and it was it was the second it was at the second ceremony that they did best animated feature so it was shrek and then spirited away pretty cool pretty cool that it you know did that kind of one two and I, i believe after that was finding nemo so yeah um crazy you know you got dreamworks studio g and and Pixar. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, Ice Age. Yeah. I love Ice Age. <laughs> I, I do too. <laughs> There's like nine of them now, though, and I can't keep up. Yeah, it's wild. Um, I figured, yeah, Ghibli was going to pop up on, on yours. I had a feeling that was going to happen. There's another director I know is, is going to be is going to pop up on yours, and I'm just waiting for it. Yeah. I think there's a couple you could probably guess. I mean, there, yeah. <laughs> there's one I know for sure we're both going to have here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think we'll have one. Oh, well, maybe. Yeah, we'll definitely have one overlap. I, I feel like because it was a film guys in moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's popped up on a few of your lists. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What's your, your number four? This is good. My number, my number four is about as far from a kid's movie as you can get uh, while still having kids in it. And that is 2000's Battle Royale. Nice. Okay. This is the film that the Hunger Games ripped off and nobody really seemed to care. Yeah, no, no. Uh, in a dystopian future Japan, kids are rounded up and forced to kill each other for victory in which they their families will be taken care of. I think that's, that's the, the prize. It's been a long time since I watched this, but it, it was impactful. And it's just a vicious bloodbath watching these kids, these kids completely throw their innocence away because they have no choice. 
And the kids who try to hold on to the fact that this is wrong are like the first wave to go. And um, the actress who plays Gogo in Kill Bill Part One, this is where she was discovered by Quentin Tarantino because she plays a fucking nut <laughs> in Battle Royale. Uh, but this is a, you know, this is a film guys I'm waiting to happen. This is one of the most insane, like you could never do this in the United States. At least we thought so, unless it's a young adult book uh, kind of movies. That really does bother me that it's me, like the me same too. fucking story and nobody, nobody cares. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's a great movie. I think it's a frightening movie. It's fucked up. It's crazy. It's got a great villain and it's just an unforgettable experience. Yeah, that's a great pick. I didn't even think about that one. Uh, also, haven't seen it in a long time. That might have something to do with it, but Jesus, yeah, talk about talk about an idea that was stolen, um, and and totally, totally westernized. You know, uh, that happens so much. You can just if you are going to steal creatively, steal from a foreign book or a movie. No one here is going to fucking notice. <laughs> yeah, even something as big as you know, Infernal Affairs, uh, The Departed is like just. Yeah, we're just gonna take that from you and uh, make it. We'll just throw Leo and Matt Damon in there, and a little bit of Jack Nicholson, and it's ours. And it's Best Picture winner. It's like okay. Uh. <laughs> There's currently a remake of Train to Busan in the works called like Last Train to New York. But does anybody want that? Everyone like Train to Busan transcended you know continents. Everyone loved that movie. Yeah, it's a great film. Yeah, oh, love that one. Yeah, it's it's frustrating and it happens. So I'm glad you chose something that's literally a movie that happened and then happened again <laughs> and not only happened again, but it happened four times, you know, the hunger games needed four movies to tell their fucking story. And I'm just, I only like, I like the second one because it's got a lot of Philip Seymour Hoffman and he's amazing in it as kind of the games master. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Battle Royale is, is the greater, the greater film. Uh, I'd love to read that novel. Sure. It's fucking crazy. Um, my number four is, uh, I'm curious to see, to, to, I don't know if you remember, I think I wrote a review for this movie, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago, uh, called Branded the Kill from 1967. This is, uh, this is, this is so far up my alley, it's, it, it's not even funny. Uh, it's about a guy, he's a hitman, and uh, some shit goes wrong. He finds out that another hitman is coming after him, and it's just a battle of who can last longer, who cares more, who wants it more, and uh, who can get a little bit more dangerous, a little bit more crazy. Some great shots, some great performances, uh, directed by Seijun uh, Suzuki. Just, just so much fun. It's an hour and a half, just a fucking wild, wild ride. Doesn't really stop once it gets going. And I love movies like that. I love action movies that just kind of just take it and fucking run with it. So, uh, crime dramas in Japan and really in this part of the world altogether, uh, China. Uh, there's some Korean ones too. They, they just they just fucking get it. They get the pacing. They understand. Go 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 go. You know, um, we're gonna talk about a guy soon, a director soon that really understood that. And um, yeah, I, I it's my favorite part of this cinema from this part of the world is the pacing and the un unrelenting. Sometimes these guys they make movies you know two three times a year. You know, so it's like. I'm sure they don't even remember sometimes some of the stuff they shot, you know, whereas this part of the world, the Western part of the world, guys will take breaks for five years, six years and sit on that shit forever. And I think there's, there's pros and cons to both. Right. You know, you, you get a guy like maybe a, a Tarantino or a Paul Thomas Anderson, who's like, you really let that movie breathe and become a part of pop culture. 
But I also respect the, the nature of some of these guys, some of these, you know, Japanese and Chinese directors who are like, no, let's just go, go, go. Big part of it is, you know, the studios and, you know, that the, you know, the dollar game is just different, but I respect that a lot. I respect these guys who just nonstop go. And Suzuki is a guy who, who, who made a lot of stuff and Brandon to kill is, is an unforgettable ride. So I, I think you would love it, man. It's, again, it's an hour and a half. I believe it's on Criterion right now. That's when I, that's where I watched it back, you know, again, year, year and a half ago. It's, it's good shit. Branded to kill. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. That yeah. sounds exciting. Yeah. 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 The, the main character is, is just so much fun. He's, you know, he's, he's got the classic sunglasses on at all times, just hanging out, just fucking, not the greatest hitman in the world, but he's also got, you know, he's got some stuff in his bag. So yeah, I'm, I'm into it. I love movies about guys who are just kind of in the criminal underworld and are just kind of sleazy. I, I love stuff like that. So uh, yeah, Brandon to kill good stuff. 1967. It is interesting to look at the, uh, the way films are made overseas versus here, where it's very much a time is money mentality. And over there, like in certain cultures, like especially in Japan, it's just, you know, crank it out. Like yeah. make your mark. And I, I respect let, that. I respect the grind. Yeah. Let it fly. Yeah. Just, just go, man. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. Unreal. Um, my number three is considered one of the scariest movies of all time. Uh, the 2002's Juwan, The Grudge. Yes. One of the few cases where the remake was helmed by the same director, Takashi Shimizu, who had to tone it down because Americans just, we can't handle, we can't handle shit like the Japanese can. Uh, but the original movie is a testament to fear. Like seriously, that movie is fucking scary. It's about a woman who uh, takes a job as a caregiver in a house that is incredibly haunted and taints anybody who walks through it. Regardless of whether or not you live there, you're visiting, you're delivering the mail. If you walk through those gates, you are cursed. Game over. And that's fucking scary. And this creepy ass, you know, like bendy ghost, like pale black hair, giant mouth. Like there's a scene where the, the main character is laying in bed and she lifts up her blanket and the ghost is right fucking here, like in her Oof. face, just staring Oof. at her. I, how do you not just shit yourself? These, these movies are fucking terrifying. And uh, it was a toss up between this and Ringu. Mm. Uh, but Ringu... It has that one scene where the girl walks out of the television, which is mind-bendingly scary. But that is about it. Juan maintains that throughout the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That intensity, yeah. And I wasn't going to make a top five Japanese without shouting out one of those films, which has kind of represented Japanese horror on the global stage for quite some time. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, I figured you'd have this. <laughs> uh and this is prime time for our pod for, for film guys. And, you know, this yeah. is like spoiler I mean, alert, October. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, this is, this is perfect for film guys. So great, great, great pick. Uh, 2002, right. You said, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 2002. Um, when's the last time you watched it? That was one of the first movies I ever watched when Caleb and I started filmgasm.com as a okay. movie review website. So it's been a, almost a decade. Yeah, that's wild. Uh, yeah, we, it's time, time, time for a rewatch. We double featured Ringu and Juan in one night and didn't sleep that much. 
Yeah, I understand that. You know, uh, I, I love that though. I love picturing, you know, that t- 2014, you know, you guys just, just inhaling what you can, you know, and, and, and getting it on the site and hanging out, watching movies. So what a cool double feature to, to remember forever. Um, my, my number three is a movie that we did on this podcast. Uh, episode, I want to say 24. Um, throughout, let's see. We had done this movie called Z from 1969. I believe that was our first foreign movie that we did. And then shortly after, I was like, let's do Kurosawa. Let's do a Kurosawa movie. Let's fucking, you know, talk about this guy. I want to talk about him again because we know so much more now. And I've, I've seen so much more of his work since then. I, I own some of his stuff. So love this guy to death. Akira Kurosawa is probably the most acclaimed uh, Japanese director to ever live. Not probably. He is. Um, he's the man. He's the fucking man. I think there were times where uh, he was misunderstood when he was alive. And then when he passed away it became this phenomenon, you know, the Kurosawa movies. Here's a guy who made movies nonstop for decades and, and got, got like better and then worse and then better and then worse and would talk, come out with a movie in the eighties. That was like as good as anything he had ever done. But my favorite, the most like precise and my favorite is Rashomon. I love this movie. <laughs> it's so good. One thing I love about Kurosawa is he does not fuck around. He gets to the point. Uh, there are movies that are long of his, you know, some very popular ones like Seven Samurai, but a lot of his movies are like an hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes, and he gets to the point. And this movie is so, so fucking uh, dreamlike. It's like, a, it's like a fever dream, this movie. And, and at the center of it is my favorite Toshiro Mifune performance. And that guy is something to behold. I've never seen someone so masculine and so dominant on the screen. That guy's a freak of nature. So I had to have Kurosawa at some, you know, at some point, there's a lot of movies that I love of his, you know, it was, it was probably between this and I really like hidden fortress. And I really like uh, drunken angel really like that movie. Um, What he was doing in the forties, fifties and sixties is, is, is beyond me. Uh, Love, love that guy can find a lot of his work on criterion and hbo max uh and i suggest people get to that you know he's someone you will not uh you'll not regret going down that alley and going down you know his his resume his filmography because there's something there for everybody you know and and he worked with toshiro like 50 times so you're always going to get this really cool actor uh director duo with those guys and it's it's really special so yeah i love love this movie it's really cool to look back that we did this we were so ambitious uh to do this movie uh but i I remember my thoughts then and those thoughts remain the same about this about this this uh, story uh and i love how it has kind of the vantage point has different you know perspectives on what's happening i've always thought that's a really cool you know plot device so uh, yeah i'm a huge huge fan of this one and i know uh i know we we will do Kurosawa again on this show someday. <laughs> I've been, uh, I've been watching a lot of uh, Simpsons lately. And um, I, I do the same thing all the time. <laughs> there was an episode where they were, they, they were going to Japan and Homer was upset and Marge tried to console him. It's like, what? You love Japanese culture. You liked Rashomon. And Homer goes, that's not how I remember it. And I was laughing my ass off. Like that's the, one of the best jokes 
Yeah. Like, only the film buffs are going to laugh at that one. Yeah. Well written. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's good. <laughs> yeah. I, did you see that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah. I, I knew I was, I was going to let you take the Kurosawa baton because I, I've got a lot more work to do. I liked Rashomon a lot. I liked the Hidden Fortress. Seven Samurai kind of underwhelmed me, and yeah, that, it didn't. That didn't feel right to me. So I, I feel like I have more work to do before I can fully appreciate a film like that. So I, I want to totally, yeah. totally understand. Yeah, totally understand that. I, I, I yeah, I think we both because we both watched Rashomon, uh, Hidden Fortress, and Seven Samurai like that week. Like kind of like a we did like a gauntlet of Kurosawa. And those are always, you know, Hidden Fortress is like the movie that Star Wars is like, okay, you know, uh, there's a lot going on there. And and, and the, those three are kind of looked at as some of his biggest stuff, right? And it was cool to go down all those movies. I think what would be really cool to do is he was nominated for Best Director once, and that was for 1985's Ran. Mm. I think it would be really cool to do that movie and maybe do the same thing, like watch a few Kurosawa movies and just keep stacking them up. Uh, because yeah, I I love the guy. He also won an, uh, an honorary award in 1990. So he's he's a guy we could you know talk about Oscars. We could talk about him on Filmgasm. He just has that kind of stuff in his bag all over the place. You know, he's there's so many films you can choose from to 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 talk about. So, uh, God, I love that guy so much. His his mind. I I love reading his quotes. His quotes about cinema and about storytelling are so inspiring and. Love, love Kurosawa. Always a good, good chance to shout him out anytime I can. <laughs> Funny you mentioned that uh, Hidden Fortress inspired Star Wars because, like, Lucas wanted to share Mufune as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like, he was his first choice. God, can you imagine? But he turned him down. But, yeah, Star, what would Star Wars look like today if Mufune had been Obi-Wan? I would well, think I'd, about that. I, like, I'd be a fan. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you'd love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, the movie's fine, but Toshiro? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, cool stuff. Uh, but yeah, Kurosawa is... Uh, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not ready to call myself a, you know, Japanese film buff until I, I, I can fully appreciate Kurosawa. Yeah, he's the guy people talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now we're getting into the nitty gritty. and uh, Yeah, top two. <laughs> Top two, it's probably no surprise at all. But um, my number two is one of the most depraved, violent, vicious films I've ever seen. Ichi the Killer. That's my number two as well. <laughs> yeah. It's time to talk Takashi Miike. <laughs> yes. Takashi Miike is the guy we've been, we've been beating around the bush with Takashi Miike. This is one of the most ambitious, fucked up directors I've ever fucking you know, witnessed in my life. And each of the, each of the killer is the most depraved movie I've ever seen. This fucking psycho knows how to make a cinematic experience. Um, I, I did not going into itchy, the killer for the first time was like, I had so many people warn me like, buddy, you, you gotta like buckle up. This isn't, this is not your grandma's action movie. So, yeah. and watching it was just like watching like a snuff film at times it's the most vicious shit it's just so much evil and yeah. so much psychosis just mixed into this weird ass action movie that is just like mesmerizing and also incredibly hard to watch yeah yeah 
it was yeah we were immediately like what the fuck was this but i loved it <laughs> but yeah it's you can't stop like it's been a few years and i just i can't like one at least once a week something will pop in like remember that shit in my head it's just one of those things that's going to stay here forever <laughs> and I, I i'm honestly okay with it this is one of those i probably have 10 to 15 movies in my that are in my brain and this is definitely one of one of the ones in my brain that it's like, man, I'm weird for liking that, you know? And, and if I, if I admit that I like it to the wrong person, I might come across as a complete, you know, fucking psychotic freak. And, but it, but uh, fuck it. If you, if you, if you know, you know, and with each of the killer, yes, it's the most depraved, it's torture porn. It's weird. It's nasty. But man, oh man, is the story completely, completely bonkers. And it's involving, you know, drug dealing and drug users and uh these gangsters that are so relentless and some some of like my favorite performances from from you know any of these movies that we've talked about are from each of the killer i i really really respond to this movie i gave it a 10 i still give it a 10 i love this movie and uh it's i don't really care you know we paired this with audition uh back when we were doing um filmgasm you know we were doing like an episode and then a bonus we're like, let's knock out audition, which is seen as this. Whoa, you're really crossing a certain line of weird and dark and creepy and fucked up. But we were both kind of like, yeah, audition. It, it's the you know, there's like an hour that goes by. We were like, okay, what's the big deal? And then stuff happens towards the end, and you're like, that was fucked up. But each of the killer is the whole movie. The whole movie is fucked like so so hard. And I think we both were surprised that Itchy the Killer was the one that, quote unquote, scared us more. I, I know we both don't really get scared necessarily, but we were freaked out. We were like, this is this is weird. Yeah. And it's even weird. It's even odd, you know, stranger that we both responded to it. We both had a good time talking about it on the episode. So I don't know what that says about us, but I don't really care. You know, I love a lot of dark movies. And sometimes that's like what you need to just get away from whatever and Takashi Miike is is that guy. He's the guy who who can deliver that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm so glad we both have this uh, this movie. Kakihara is one of my favorite movie characters of the of the century. So, um, yeah, huge fan. I love when his mouth opens. You know, he's got the he's got the weird weird cuts that the Joker wish he had. Right, <laughs> he he actually has it when he opens up. His mouth is just like this. He's like this weird. He's almost like Venom, and it's just so fucking cool. Uh, yeah, Itch the Killer, man. I knew this was coming. <laughs> Fun fact, I, I recently discovered that um, Tadanobu Asano, the guy who plays Kakihara, is in the MCU. He's a Marvel legend. Yeah, he's in a bunch yeah. of Marvel movies. Yeah, He's Hogan, one of the Warriors 3. I had no fucking clue. Yeah. I, Jesus. Oh, freaky. Yeah, this is a... If you're going to watch Itch the Killer, uh, I there's really nothing I can say to prepare you for that. It's just you're going to be uncomfortable for a couple hours, but it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I don't just recommend this movie to anybody, but if you like want to push that, to, like push your senses when it comes to movies, I do think this one is, is, is one to look out for and watch. I think it's on shutter right now. Um, I mean, it's kind of like a, why not? If you're a fan of the you know genre and horror and, you know, psychological crazy shit, 
what's great about this is is this movie involves you know gangsters right and it involves you know uh, uh an, an enforcer essentially who's like who who doesn't know what pain is and he's willing to go to the greatest lengths to to feel pain and that finale between those two you know kakihara and ichi is amazing is like so rewarding and such a you know great way to cap off a fucked up movie um yeah god i love this one one of my favorite kills of all time is when Ichi slices that guy down the middle with his with his heel. He has that blade on his heel, slices the guy, and it looks ridiculous. You know, it looks very two thousand one. Doesn't look like they spent a lot of money on that on the effects, but it's just like funny. It's like, oh my god, did you see that? <laughs> like, it's that kind of stuff. So I know you and I we relate in that way. Where sometimes the fucked up is like what we are like, <laughs> you know, giggling about. It's not for everybody. I totally get it. And I've read letterbox reviews that are just destroying this movie. I, I get it. I get it. It's, it's depraved as fuck. It's straight from hell. And I understand that, but I think you and I, obviously it's our number two. <laughs> well, I think it's a film that, you know, requires a certain sick, dark, wicked sense of humor. Cause it's, yeah. it's so over the top. It's like a live action Looney Tunes with blood and gore. Like yeah. it's so, it's like a dark circus. It's not trying to be, you know, dark. It's trying to be almost like so insane you can't help but laugh. So you need that kind of mentality going into films like this where you, you know, you're not going to call your congressman and try to get it banned. Like you're going to just sit there and be like, what the fuck? Like with some yeah. buddies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly right, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love that we both have this. Shout out to Takashi Miike, man. I'm, I'm always down to watch more of his stuff. You know, I know, uh, our guys, you know, Caleb and Josh, who are uh, big, big, big horror fans, they both, you know, especially Josh, really respects Takashi and knows knows his stuff about him. So um, Josh inspired me to watch more Takashi. You know, I end up watching this movie that I love called Rainy Dog, which is a lot, a lot less, you know, fucked up. And he, th- that's what Josh was saying. Josh was like, hey, he, he's capable of making family movies as yeah. well as psychotic movies like Ichi the Killer. So. Yeah, put some respect on Takashi Miike's name. That guy, that guy, there's years where that guy made like seven movies. You know, there's there's a stretch from 2000 to 2002 where he's credited for 15 productions. God damn. Who does that? Who does that? <laughs> I don't know of any American filmmaker who's even capable of that. That's that's wild. Yeah, he's nuts, man. So yeah, I love it. I'm I'm honestly lost on what your number one is. It may surprise you. Uh, okay. But it's- it's something that I've thought a lot about over the years and I had to just give this movie its props for what it did accomplish. And that is audition. Wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. Respect. <laughs> Takashi Miike. Once again. Um, cool. Yeah. That, that double feature has come a long way for you. It fucking has. That was one of the most significant moments of our show's history that fucking weekend for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think about it often. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Audition is such a multifaceted film. It's so layered. It's a rom-com until the last 20 minutes where it turns into hell itself. And very few films have ever done anything like that. Uh, it's kind of, it's widely regarded next to Ichi as Takashi Miike's masterpiece. Um, yeah. I first heard about it on uh, one, uh, one, Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments. I was a kid and it's the one film that they didn't show any like long clips from because Bravo said, absolutely not. Like it was too much for them. 
And yeah. the way people talk, the way like Rob Zombie said, it made him feel dirty. I'm like, what is this thing? I gotta know. <laughs> yeah. And it just freaked me out as a kid. I was like, just the mere mention of like, don't even talk about that movie. And then I grew up and I'm like, I need to, I need to see this. And we used the podcast as, as an excuse for that. And while it was a bit underwhelming at the time, the more I thought about it, the more I'm mm. like, this fucking thing is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you don't know what's coming. I mean, I oh, wish to yeah. God I didn't know what it was coming. <laughs> yeah, I, I know I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, no, I, I I love that movie. I give that one an eight or a nine and each of the killer a ten. I just I like the you know, you know, more wacky style. Yeah. But audition is probably the better movie and is the one I would recommend to people because it is it is thrilling. Once you get to that, you're like, oh my god, this this went to a different level of filmmaking within within seconds and some great performances in that movie too subtle subtle and then wild and i love that about it when it's got like some of the most horrifying moments i've ever seen like just that scene where you know they just met and he says he's going to call her and it pans over to her waiting like staring at the phone waiting for that phone call and you just see that bag move in the background and you're like what the fuck was that and it cuts away you're like what just happened and you find out later there's a fucking like half cut up dude in there. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. This is it's such a, a mind bending descent into hell because you don't know that that's where the staircase leads. Correct. I, I've never Correct. seen that kind of film before. And I just it's a film that never left my head. And I, I recently found it at Goodwill for like two bucks. So I'm like, I'm, I'm going to take that. And that's awesome. Yeah. I was like, that's mine. Yeah. Audition, baby. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a film that I think represents the best that Japanese cinema has to offer when it comes to genre films and just creative filmmaking. So I wanted that to be kind of the figurehead of my list. I like that. That's really cool. So have you watched it since we did? I have have not. I'm Uh, I'm, I'm waiting for for honestly for Halloween. (laughs) Okay. yeah. For the right for the right moment. And it's like. Like, hey mom, you want to watch uh, audition? You know the fam get it, get the family together. Uh, I remember when I watched these two movies, audition and each of the killer. Um, each of the killer was on Shutter when we did it for the show. Audition, audition was also on Shutter. They had a lot of Takashi Miike films. Okay, yeah, they, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Because um, I I remember watching these, and my my now wife Brianna was like, "What what is?" <laughs> going on <laughs> i'm like oh, i'm just doing it for the podcast you know <laughs> i'm so glad that she was cool with that because like that that move those movies could have ruined your relationship <laughs> yeah but she knew what she was in for you know uh I that's made, good I made, yeah but like if it wasn't somebody cool you would have called me like buddy like what the fuck <laughs> what's 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 the bet one of my favorite things about her as far as movies go is her you know her favorite same as me like when it's good and it's hitting horror is both is our favorite, both of our favorite genres and movies. Yeah. And that's like what we, we, we both get along when we're watching a horror movie. We're having, we're having a lot of fun and it's like yeah. a cool thing that we get to do like to bond and awesome. this, but this is a, a bridge too far for her. <laughs> and I, I get it. I totally get it. Uh, it's fucked up. Some fucked up shit. Takashi Miike is, is something else, man. Uh, <laughs> I would love to talk about him more, you know. Um, I do think sometimes, like, when we do find something that affects us this way, like Itchy the Killer in Audition, it's like, why not 
why not just dive deep into this guy and let's do more shit on him. And let's, 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 uh, cause I think it's more fun to do it together, you know, or to do it as a group, you know, the whole film guys and group, I think it'd be really cool for all of us to, to do an episode on a Mike, uh, Takashi Mike film where we all are like, cause it's cool. It's like a, a, a group project where you're like, how does everybody react to it's a social experiment? <laughs> How does everybody fun. react react to the, the craziness that is Takashi Miike? So I love that. Your one two is is Takashi. That's really cool. And I love that name so much, Takashi. I love, love, love that name. I love pictures of that guy. He seems like the coolest dude ever. You know, he just likes to make weird shit, but also likes to make family mus- musicals, you know. So hats off to him, man. I don't think I don't think here in the United States we have anybody like that. So uh he's kind of a treasure. Um, can you guess what my number one is? I have a feeling. What 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 do you think? I have a feeling it's Woman in the Dunes. It is Woman in the Dunes. Ah. <laughs> God damn, I love this movie. I've been trying to hide it a little bit, but it's hard. Uh, oh boy, this is right up right up Austin Austin Street, and you know I, I want to shout out some other movies real quick before I get into Woman in the Dunes and before we give awards out to it. Uh, there's a movie from 1953 called Gate of Hell. Uh, nominated for, for, I think, a couple Oscars. I want to say costume design, maybe production design. Uh, so I'd love to do that movie on, on the show one day. Uh, just really, really good. Uh, that's another one I watched in Criterion when I first got it. Um, Kiraneko from 1968. Say, uh, really, really interesting black and white horror film very eerie using a lot of really interesting you know japanese tropes that i think a lot of people assume are going to be in all japanese movies you got people flying around you know fucking gliding and you're it's just really creepy reminded me of you know like when tony collette is going like that in hereditary i i I felt that a lot kieran aiko definitely definitely revolves around women kind of being empowered and taken over uh, so yeah, really like that movie. Another another Criterion one that I watched. Pretty much all of these Japanese movies I, I watch on Criterion because they got they got a lot of cool shit. We mentioned Drive My Car because it's your number five. I, I love that movie, so I'm glad you had it. And the last one would be uh, Afterlife in 1998. Uh, that's a movie I talked about not that long ago on our uh, A Simple Plan episode. Uh, it was something I, I I thought about for my top five 1998. Afterlife is like a documentary, but it's not. And it's about people who are kind of in a limbo state. Really, really interesting. Some amazing dialogue. So yeah, I, I, I love, love those movies. Um, but Woman in the Dunes just, just level, like completely leveled me. And it made me feel pretty damn good that I chose, <laughs> that I chose this movie weeks ago. I chose this a long time ago. I have a, I have a huge list of all the ceremonies that we haven't talked about yet. And uh, I'll, I'll go on the internet. I'll kind of think about what would be what would be interesting for me and Connor to do. Which years are cool to do a Best Picture Showdown? Um, like Platoon last week just made the most sense. It's like yeah, 1986. We could both talk about Platoon. That's great. And when I was looking at 1964, 1965, 38th Academy Awards specifically, because we've done uh, we did uh, Doctor Strangelove way back in the day. We've we've talked about that ceremony, but we've never brought up the 38th Academy Awards, which is a lot of 1965 movies, uh, the year that Sound of Music won. And Woman in the Dunes just kind of popped out at me. And I was like, wait a minute, I've seen that before. And then I, you know, read about it. And said, okay, let's just go for it. It's two and a half hours, but let's fucking go for it. I think it'll be rewarding. And here we are. Uh, 
it's my favorite Japanese movie I've ever seen. An instant 10 for me. Uh, five stars and letterbox type stuff. <laughs> There's stuff in here where the camera is doing exactly what I wish it was doing every scene. And that's the most rewarding thing when I, when I, when I watch movies is if the cinematography and the director, the cinematographer and the director are on the same page and they both know what's going on. And they clearly had an awesome vision. You know, when, when they're starting to get physical, our two main characters, and they're wiping sand off each other and the camera is up in their space. I'm kind of, it's almost, it's almost like a good repulsive feeling that I have where I'm like, whoa, like, I feel like, I feel like I shouldn't be here. I feel like this is too personal. I feel like I'm in there. I feel like I'm in their space, but I love stuff like that. I love, you know, my favorite cinematographer is uh, Emmanuel Lubeski, and he does that so well. He gets in people's face, gets in people's grills and does first person type stuff so well. And this movie is a tremendous, tremendous feat in that regard. And I loved what it stands for because it's kind of about everything and about nothing, you know. Uh, it's a movie that it's a movie that you could call complex or you could call really simple, uh, and that's that's kind of my favorite shit. So, Woman in the Dunes, this felt really cool that that this just happened to be what the episode is based around because I love all these movies we've talked about. Your list, my list, I love these movies, but above all is, is Woman in the Dunes and a movie that I will carry with me forever. Um, so, yeah. 1964 absolute classic check it out on criterion hbo max i believe so um not no, hbo max just yeah, just criterion if you don't have criterion um you can rent it on prime or apple tv but other than that like that's pretty much the exclusive way to watch this i'm telling you man these people you know gotta get criterion it is like i know i'm biased because this is it's kind of the stuff that's up my alley but there's stuff like this these classic kind of they're classic, but they're underground classic. You know, it's, it's not a classic in the sense of sound of music where millions and billions of people have seen it. It's more of like the people who have, they know what's up. They know it's a damn good film. Well, I, I view Criterion mostly as like, there's certain movies that have been classics for so long. We all know they're classics. There's like the 40th edition, the 40th anniversary edition, 50th anniversary edition. There's so many ways to get these movies. But Criterion, I feel like protects the movies that are like, not as well known, but worth saving. And I mm. respect that big time. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. I, yeah, it's, it's so cool that, you know, a, a criterion you could buy, you know, stuff from obviously all the decades, but you can buy stuff that, you know, is a, is a Fellini movie or, you know, could be a, you know, classic French movie. You could, you could be buying Cleo, from five to seven, or you could be buying, you know, woman of the dunes or you'd be buying an old, you know, twenties film that they've just been passionate about. I, I love that. Well, and also like take for instance, um, Bong Joon-ho's memories of murder. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. The criterion edition is the only way you can buy that film in the United States. So like that means something that's, you know, that's accessibility. And I love that criterion is, you know, made these films available to a wider audience because, you know, without Criterion, I don't know if I ever even would have heard of Woman in the Dunes. Oh, I, 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 I might have not. I don't know. I mean, I, I think I would have at some point seen it through these through the, the, the Oscars. It's like, oh, this is up for director and foreign language film. That's rare. For a Japanese director, it, it literally is rare. It's, it's as rare as it can get. He's, he was the first one and I think still the only one. So 
I th- wasn't the uh, the guy to drive my car, wasn't he? Up? Oh, Hamaguchi was probably up for drive my car. You're probably right. This past year, was he? I'm gonna go ahead and con- and I can't him. remember. I can't remember who's up for who won best director this past year. That was Jane Campion, I believe. Oh yeah, yeah, Power of the Dog. Duh, yeah. Uh, uh, not not duh, because you know it lost best picture, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Hamaguchi probably was up. You're probably right. Mm-hmm. He was up, yes. There you go. I wonder if anybody else has. Well, Kurosawa. 1985, ran, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to think now if anybody else has accomplished that. That'd be an interesting just little list to make. Uh, I, I love stuff like that. So he's the first. Yes. Teshigahara is the first. Um, and it took almost 40 ceremonies to, you know, to get there. So that's, you know, that, that, that'll happen. What's surprising is that Kurosawa doesn't have more, you know, yeah. that it didn't, that it didn't happen before 1985. You know, the guy has, the guy had been working for four years. Well, I might be reading into it a bit, but I mean, we hold fucking grudges in this country. And, oh, yeah. you know, after 1945, I wonder if, you know, Japanese film, you know, Russian film considered taboo in America, considered anti-American. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Yeah, I think that's why Tarkovsky wasn't touched much. Uh, that he's more of a, a guy who later on people were like, holy shit, this guy's stuff is really good. Yeah. Especially as, in this part of the world. You know, I'm not speaking for everybody, you know, across Europe and, and Asia, but uh, I think people catch on a little late, you know, and they, like you said, hold grudges. Uh, so that's a good point. I think, I think you may be right. Uh, but this, this is great. This is a fucking blast talking about Japanese cinema with you, man. So. Go ahead and recap your list, and then we'll uh, we'll do some awards for Woman in the Dunes, which I can't wait for. Yeah, sounds good. My number five is Drive My Car. Number four, Battle Royale. Number three, Juan, The Grudge. Number two, Ichi the Killer. And number one, Audition. Beautiful, beautiful. My number five is Princess Mononoke. My number four is Branded to Kill. Number three, Rashomon. Uh, number two, Ichi the Killer. So cool. We both have that. Number two. And number one, woman in the dunes so let's give some awards out to woman in the dunes um we've got the quentin tarantino award for best quote of the movie some crazy crazy good dialogue in this one uh we have the ennio morricone for the best music moment again amazing score so that was very difficult uh the philip Seymour hoffman award which is really between two people that are on the screen pretty much the entire time and then the roger deakins award for the best scene of the movie so i'll let you take it away with your tarantino um, this is an interesting scene. Um, I chose this mainly because of what immediately precedes the dialogue. Okay. And, um, uh, it's a scene where he's, he's, um, our entomologist is reading a comic in the paper and just burst into this ungodly cackle. And you're like, oh, okay. He's finally snapped. And then he just immediately stops laughing and just goes, I won't be made a fool of, I refuse to die like a dog. Yes. And it's like, I, I love yeah, that what a, line. What a crazy, like, 180 turnaround there. Like, this man's losing his fucking mind. And, you know, I, I get it. I'm amazed he held on to, hit, to, held on to it as long as he did. <laughs> but I was, re- I was really impressed with that, that bit of scene there, uh, just from, you know, laugh to shutting it off to not going to happen like this. And it was yes. impressive. Yeah, isn't he great in this movie? He's just, he delivers some of this stuff. It's like hilarious. You're like, it's very much, I rem- when you text me about the lighthouse, I was like, yes, you know, it's very much like so dark that it's funny at times that the, just the, the, 
the dismay. <laughs> it's like you have to laugh sometimes. You almost can't believe this is happening. That like he's trapped in a like 20 foot sand pit and everyone's just laughing at him. And he's like, what the fuck is going on right now? Like the whole time he's like, are you kidding me? And you're like with him. You're like, yeah, what the fuck is this? Like, why is he here? And yeah. it's just, it's such a strange film, but you, you get it. It's, it's power. Yeah. 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 I think, I think that's what I responded to most was I, it, I never felt like it was over my head or that I was too, that it was uh, too pretentious or anything for me. It no. was never like, it was never like up its own ass, which I think some people would look at like the, the poster and be like, uh, no, thanks. I think people, you know, judge a book by its cover, quite frankly. And I think I did the same thing until I started watching it. I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm like in for like a straight up psychological thriller here. And these two people who are stuck, one of them chooses to be stuck essentially. And the other one is trapped. And then towards the end of the movie, you're like, Oh my God, like he, he's completely done a 180 here. Uh, God, so good. My favorite bits of dialogue are when it's them two kind of talking philosophically about why she does what she does and him kind of making fun of her. She's like, well, I have to do this. You know, uh, if I don't work today, the sand will fall in through the roof and it will ruin my home. Uh, I love when she talks about the neighbors, like there's, you know, three houses over, there's this, this situation happening. You're like, this is like a whole community of these people who are, who are stuck in the dunes. Um, I love how he starts losing his mind and is talking about wanting to see water because he's, he's going crazy. I love that stuff. I, I crack up at that. But my favorite bit from him, from his dialogue, is, is when he's talking about, he's just kind of ranting. And it made me laugh so hard, but also just maybe think and maybe kind of like pause the movie and be like, wow, this is, this is something else. This is situational perfection from, from Teshigahara. Uh, he says, we could, for example, think of some way to exploit the lure of the dunes. My fascination with the sand is what brought me here, after all. I'm serious. That postcard salesman probably came for some reason. Advertise the area, develop it into a tourist resort, make the sand work for you, not against you. <laughs> I just started cracking up. Like this guy, he's so off his like off the edge that he's thinking of like this other guy, this this salesman who got trapped at some point. He's thinking about his his reality and thinking about like, huh? I wonder. <laughs> I wonder how crazy he got. <laughs> And how crazy I'm getting. It reminded me, honestly, I started, I thought of Seinfeld. I thought of like George Costanza just kind of like going on these rants and like, what are you talking about? You know, like, dude, like focus here. But that's some of my, that's some of my favorite stuff in characters is when they, their personality comes out so fresh and so hard because of the situation they're in. And that happens a lot with Nikki, with our, with our, our, our main character, essentially. He, his personality comes out because he's forced to, he's like forced his hand. And I, I love that about this movie. So good. It also is so wild to see a character be like, okay, so clearly I'm going to lose my mind at some point. Yes. What's that yeah. going to be like? And yeah. that's a crazy level of self-awareness where you're just like, I'm trapped. Sanity is in short supply. When's it going to happen? What's it going to feel like? What's it going to look like? Am I going to recognize it? And I don't think he does. I don't think he yeah. realizes he loses it, but we very much realize like, oh, you, there's no going back now. <laughs> yeah. Quite like literally toward at the end of the movie, you're like, oh, you're, you're, you, you did this now. <laughs> Complete Stockholm syndrome. He's just like, you know, 
outside is unsafe now. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Completely bonkers. Yeah. I really like this screenplay. I think it's like one that could have been up for, for best screenplay is very strong. It's adapted from a novel. Um, I don't know how, how to say his name. Uh, his last name is, is Abe, but it's probably pronounced Abe or I'm not quite sure. Uh, I think but so. th- they did, they did, I believe three films together, Kobo Abe and uh, Teshi Gahara. They did three films together and I'm like, man, I would love to read this book, see what else, see what the differences are and see how kind of, kind of dark it gets. So I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in this story, obviously, and what it has to offer. Uh, especially, especially with the the dialogue, man. I thought it was thought it was wicked good. Um, the the score is also something else. It it reminds me so much of stuff that's popular now in horror and, and thrillers and stuff. Just just eerie, just eerie as fuck. From from movies like Hereditary to like The Master, it's like that whole spectrum. I feel like at some point was like Woman in the Dunes was something that they 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 paid attention to. Yeah, this is one of those, you know, it's a building block movie. It's a, yeah. you know, an originator that I'm sure many have, you know, either just blatantly stolen from or paid homage to. And I love that. I love when we get one of these where we can see the future. Yes. That is such a yes. rewarding moment. It's beautiful. It's, it's partly why we started doing this podcast was to find these, find these gems that have lasted now for nearly 60 years and are still still relevant to the filmmaking that we see today. Uh, that's, that's the best stuff. So I love it. This score is uh, by Toru Takamitsu and man, oh man, good luck. Yeah. This is some creepy shit. Um, yeah. I had to go with a moment that felt like the calm before the storm. And it's when he, uh, he finally does escape the first time mm. and he's running through the dunes, nothing in sight, just sand and depression, nothing to see. There's no help. There's no road. He has no idea where to go. And the sun is setting <laughs> and you just have this vibe of like, he might die out there <laughs> and you don't know what to expect, but the music is so unsettling. It's like just eerie strings and then he ends up in the quicksand and he's discovered by the villagers and you're like, fuck. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. It's great. The music adds this insane level of tension. And uh, yeah, I was, I was blown away. I, I love that moment because when he gets up there, finally, it's like, what did you expect? You were just up there not that long ago working and you knew there was nothing in sight. Did you think that the geography was going to change when you got up there? And it definitely go, it comes into play the rest of the movie, right? Uh, he starts to lose his mind even more. He starts to grow facial hair. So we see that more time has passed after that happens. Uh, and the movie really gets like extremely unsettling after that moving forward. And I, I, I will always remember those sounds. I know exactly what you're talking about with the strings when he's kind of just running around like a madman. Like, uh, <laughs> where do I go? Like before that, you know, we see this, the, the wind blow away his footprints. So it's like, 
the road is gone. Like he, he can't get his bearings because he's been down there for like a couple weeks or something. And yeah. he has no idea where to, where to go. And that's, that's insanely frightening. And apparently like they're not that far from Tokyo, which is even yeah. scarier. Like he's so close to civilization, well, but which there's way? no way to get there. <laughs> yeah, which way? Uh, it is, it is frightening. It's, it's also one of those movies where you can put yourself in their shoes and be like, I wouldn't do very well. <laughs> no, I, I would have snapped within a couple days. Like once I, I see there's no ladder, I I'm out. <laughs> I fucking hate sand too. Like I fucking hate it. So that was its own character in this movie. Yeah. When, when you see the shots of the sand just kind of slowly gliding down, you're like, that like gave me anxiety, like pure anxiety. And I, when that happens in a movie, I'm like, how, how do they do that? How do they make a character out of this element that's on all, all, all over the earth? They make it so scary. They make sand so scary. The shots, the close-up shots of the sand on their flesh, their sweaty, gross, Ugh. grimy flesh. And you're just like grossed out. And you're like, like it's, it's like the sand is, you know, consuming them so, so slowly. Yeah. You know, sanity first, body later. It's fucking wild, man. Yeah, this using the sand as a character is absolutely mind-boggling, and yeah, it is fucking freaky. I, I hate sand too. I don't like the way it feels, and I don't, I don't know what I'd do here. I, yeah, <laughs> like a like a few hours at the beach is enough for me for the next five years with sand, as far as sand goes. So being stuck in a home where sand is coming down while I'm eating and drinking water. And smoking and sleeping and all these things that our, our main character is doing, like no thanks. I just I, I'd want to die so fast. I'd rather be in the lighthouse with Willem Dafoe's crazy ass than be around sand. Truly, <laughs> truly. At least, at least in that case, you know, you're in for some entertainment before he eats you alive or whatever the fuck happens there. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, and they they like they like they like eat beans and stuff, and you know, like there there seems to be some sort of food. Here, I'm like, oh man, there's just no hope, and and it's from a perspective of a guy who's from Tokyo, this massive, massive city where you know it's hustle and bustle and things are moving around all the time. To this, to just stillness, it's like, it's like someone in New York City who they, for for a living they you know take different you know trains and buses and different things to get to work and then they go back home it's like when covid happened they had to sit at home all day it's like can you i mean that the difference in that versus sitting just sitting and not knowing what's going to happen next yeah. it's really scary it could really fuck somebody up yeah and if you opened your door you know there's a 20 foot climb to society and you don't have a ladder and you don't know which which way society is because it's yeah. you know we're, and you know, everyone not... there is constantly laughing at you which is even scarier. <laughs> like no one there wants to help you. Everyone thinks you're a fucking dolt for falling for this. Like, yeah. Unreal. Yeah. It's so good. God, I love this movie. Uh, we've, we've spoken a bit about it, but my favorite music moment is the scene where they, there's this weird, weird, odd uh, sexual tension going on. And you're like, uh, what's about to happen? And then they finally start to embrace because he's wiping sand off of her shoulders and he kind of takes her shirt off. And, and then the music that's playing when they start embracing and he's kissing her neck and you're like, 
ah, you guys are probably so dirty. Take a shower, <laughs> you know? And, but the music that's playing is so intense and so patient. And I was, uh, I was like sitting back in my chair, in my couch, like, oh, someone help me. And I, I love that feeling when I'm watching a movie. I love that kind of hopelessness that you have as a viewer. Or these two people, now this is a part of their life. They've had, they've broken that barrier of the physical barrier of, of, of touch. And now this is something that they do. And then when it comes back into play, when all the villagers force mm. him, if he wants to come up the ladder, he has to sleep with her in front of them. What a gnarly, crazy scene with equally as dark and scary music going on. So there's just this, this sexual tension in the music when sexual tension is happening matches it. It's uncanny how, how well it matches. And, and that's, that's weird and dark, but that's, that's commitment to the movie commitment to the story for sure. Well, you had brought up earlier this idea that like, the closeness of the camera makes you feel like an intruder. And yeah. especially in that scene, it's so intimate and you feel like a vo- like a voyeur. Like you're not supposed yeah. to be watching this. It's, it's yeah. too personal. And that's, that's an insane connection that the cinematographer and the director made with the audience that is un- like unheard of in a lot of projects. Like there's stuff where you feel uncomfortable, but there's never stuff where you feel like I'm not supposed to be here. I mean, mm. that's weird. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I, I've never felt like that with anything else. Like this was like, mm, kind of looking away. Like, I don't know about this. And you, I knew, I knew it was coming because of the, you know, like the, a lot of the, the main poster has like the sand and whatnot, the name of the movie, but there are some posters and like the letterboxed picture show him and her kind of embracing. And you're like, there's probably going to be, it's called woman in the dunes. There's probably going to be a moment where a man and a woman, connect in some way but once the movie starts you're like i'm not ready for it <laughs> and and you're you're in for a different ride than you thought you were once the movie gets going and it's like an hour in it's like an hour into the movie it takes its time with that tension and that's just that's just great filmmaking yeah well he starts out thinking like if i can you know capture this lady they have to let me out and they're mm. like i love when they like lift him up halfway and then they drop him yeah, like, that was hilarious. You. The sound, the sound it makes when he falls is so funny. Yeah, <laughs> just dude, oh. fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, good, good shit. The music is amazing in this movie. Um, and you know, I was looking at you know kind of the the cast and crew here because uh, I watched those other two um, uh, Teshigahara films, Pitfall and Face of Another, uh, and it seems like you know. These guys work together a lot. Same cinematographer, composer. But this composer, Takemitsu, worked on a lot of Kurosawa movies. And so it gets me even more intrigued. Like, he's the composer for the score of Ran. And I'm like, all right. Uh, Harakiri, he also did. So, like, all right. it's I, I love these connections we make of these guys who work together. And it's like, uh-oh. You know, here's, here's a dude that clearly got people's attention with his music, you know, multiple great filmmakers uh, in, in Japan. So I'm fucking hyped to watch more stuff from, from this country. It's not surprising that, you know, he would have his people. I mean, that's how you crank out movie after movie after movie is you've got your crew who you can trust, who you can rely on, who know what you want. You don't have to really do much. You just make it happen. 
Like, yeah, so I, get, I get that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love it, man. Um, here we go. I love this one. The Philip Seymour Hoffman Award is always a lot of fun. Typically, we have more choices than just two. But this is really this is really what we got. It's either Aiji Okada or Kyoko Kishida. That's really the two people we're looking at. I do want to just point out, I looked on the IMDb, and there's so few characters' names even listed. There's one guy who's, like, rumored to be in the movie. It's like, he might be in this. We don't know. Like, what? Unreal. Yeah, Ro- Robert Dunham. It ha- on IMDb, it has a question mark and says, rumored. <laughs> it'd be a fun, like, journey. Funny. Like, find him. Like, was he in this? Yeah. Or it'd be fun to find all the other rumored people on IMDb. Like, who else is rumored and in what movies? <laughs> so crazy. Uh, uh, I love I, it. I went with Kyoko Kishida as the woman. That's that was my pick, too. Good yeah. Lord. Her entire... She never even gets a name. She's just the woman. Yeah. And her entire character is so bizarre. She's just resigned herself to being the, la- the woman who shovels sand for the village. Like, that's her whole lot in life. And she doesn't understand why the other guy would not want to be a part of this life. Like, this yeah. is it. This is all that living is for. And her, like, when they're first having dinner, her, like, she seems nice, but also really unstable. Mm-hmm. And you just wonder, like, when's the other shoe going to drop? Who's, like, who's screwing over who here? Like, what's what's going on? And then as the movie progresses, they kind of flip-flop. Like, she starts becoming more sane. He gets crazier. Yeah. And it's just insane to watch these two bounce off each other. And her whole demeanor just going from, you know, turning on a dime to being, you know, nutball to saint to mother to wife to bather it's like what she's wearing so many hats yes yeah yeah it's an it's a really eerie performance and when like when she sings i was like so captivated but so freaked out when she would sing when she would sing while she's you know making some sort of food or or you know just i don't know what she's doing folding stuff shoveling shit I love when he says to her, are you uh, shoveling sand to live or are you living to shovel sand? I love that line so much because he's like, you're a fucking freak. (laughs) And she's like, you know, this is this is my job. This is what I do because I give give sand to them. They, you know, they give it out. It provides the village with water, provides the village with other supplies. And like, that's that's what I do. That's how I. That's how I, you know, serve the village, serve the people. And that's valiant and all. But good God almighty, what's there's got to be some screws loose. And then you find out that her husband and daughter are buried probably right under where they're sleeping, you know, and that's also real fucking weird. But her 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 demeanor, her facial expressions, her eyes, her voice. I was just like, I'm never going to forget this. This character It's the casual way she mentions that her husband and daughter are gone. She's like, yep, they just got swept up. And he's like, oh, my God. And she's like, "Eh, you know, them's breaks. Like, yeah, what? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, sometimes when you're out here, you know, living the dune life, <laughs> you get swallowed up by storms. You know, that's just what happens. Like, good night. Sometimes you eat the bar, and sometimes the bar eats you. Yeah. Um, the, the line I, <laughs> a line I really liked from her is um, when she tells him uh, that her greatest fear is waking up alone. It's like Oof. that's a lot of pressure to put on a guy that you helped kidnap 
Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. God, just, yeah. Her, her whole care. Like you couldn't, if I tried for a million years, I couldn't write a character like this. No, no. And I, I love female characters in these kinds of movies. Uh, it offers such a different perspective and a different, different kind of power. And she's fucking going for it. Kyoko is really going for it. At times I was like kind of rooting for her towards the end, especially when you find out, you find out about the pregnancy and you're like, Oh my God, no, like hope she's okay. And and you remember the, you know, first hour and a half of the movie and you're like, ah, I don't know, man. I'm kind of, I'm kind of mixed up here. (laughs) Yeah. It's you almost start to feel the Stockholm syndrome. You almost start to be like, well, if they're happy, I'm happy. And then you have to remind yourself like, no, no, this is forced labor. Like, get the fuck out of there. Like, you have to start, like, keep convincing yourself, like, this isn't right. But the movie keeps trying to make you think, maybe it's okay. It's, it's strange. This is, a, like, a, an aggressive watching experience. It really is. Yeah, I, yeah, that's, you can see why I fell in love with it, you know? It's, <laughs> it's a one-of-a-kind experience, and it's all these things that, that are in play at once. The screenplay's great music's great both the lead performances are wonderful the sand is freaky as fuck and and then we have our deacons here the best scene i think there's multiple choices uh when the movie ended mine definitely was like okay this is yeah this is this is mine but uh what'd you what'd you go with i i went with the insane weird sexual ritual that the village tries to make the entomologist participate in the drums? Oh my yeah. god! Because it wasn't just you know have sex with the lady and we'll let you up. It was like we're gonna watch you like it's like it's a circus. There's gonna be this like people with weird masks, and she's not gonna want to do it. And it turned, I get it, it was turning into a rape scene, and I'm like, oh shit! Like we're about to lose all you know sympathy for this guy. And it, it was a it was so crazy. It was a you know it was like an acid trip. And and. I, and- it was it was for him to go to the ocean for like 20 minutes a day. Yeah, that was his prize. Is you know, he gets to look at the ocean for 20 minutes, they'll probably make it 10 and then kick him back in the hole. It's crazy. And I kept expecting him to like kick the sand and they all fall in. I was hoping oh. that was gonna happen. Like I thought we were at the end and he's gonna trap all these fuckers with him. And then that didn't happen, and I was like, God damn it. <laughs> And then, yeah, Woman in the Dunes too. Yeah, People in the Dunes. Yeah, <laughs> I'd watch that. <laughs> yeah, God, yeah, that is that is a when that was happening. I kind of there. I was there, there's not like a lull to me in this movie. I thought it was all really good, but I was kind of like, I think the movie needs this. Needs this this like wicked, dark, nasty kind of what the fuck, almost eyes wide shut. Like whoa, 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 whoa. what are we doing here? Like what? Or is this is this actually happening on the screen right now? We need to have a moment of absolute change where we go yeah. from this entomologist who came here to study bugs is now willing to rape a woman in front of villagers so he can have some outdoor time. Like yeah. that is what this experience has driven him to. He's, he yeah, says like, it like, you know, we're already living like animals. What's the difference? Yeah. Like, yeah, he's saying that while he's like chasing her around. And there's some... There's just some crazy, amazing stuff going on as far as, you know, horror goes right there. The, the drums are like, wow, just boom, 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 boom. The people kind of cackling in the masks. And then there's a shot overhead from their perspective of the, 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 house, the hut. And she's inside and he's trying to, you know, he's trying to get her to go outside so that they can watch. 
and there's shadows and there's that light because they all have like these lights that are shining down on them like they're on a stage and i was like this is hiroshi teshigahara is like this is some amazing filmmaking like who's willing to go to that those lengths and i i respected that scene just for being like you said being a, a clear change in the movie you know what it reminded me of so much in um in sweeney todd the when uh, Helena Bonham Carter is telling the story of Todd's wife and she's at the party and the judge rapes her at the party and everyone's just standing around them laughing and cackling in their weird masks. I wonder if Burton was channeling this. Mm, I like that. Good call. Yeah. Good call. Sweeney Todd getting connected to, to woman in the dune. So that's a, that's a good shout out. I haven't seen Sweeney Todd in a while. So I, I really liked that. I, I think one of the dunes has multiple things going on that you can point to modern movies and be like, they probably saw that, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the lighthouse being number one, for sure. Two people losing their minds. Uh, <laughs> one of them that probably already has lost their mind, uh, Willem Dafoe and Kyoko Kishida. <laughs> so good. My, that was, that was my Deacons until the movie ended. Was that scene. The finale of the movie is my, is my Deacons. When he, is out and goes back and is like, oh, I can escape. There's time to escape tomorrow. It's fine. I got, and he wants to perfect that technique with the water. Yeah. I was like, I was like, this movie fucking rules. <laughs> this story is so awesome. This is so fucking messed up and out there. And then we see the police report for the, for the end of the movie is the police report where it says that he's been missing for seven years and is classified as a disappearance i i got chills in the cr- and then it went the end and i was like oh i was just like cinema <laughs> I, I i almost started clapping but brianna was asleep so i was like you know i just did light claps like i'm at a fucking golf tournament like let's go <laughs> and i i was like i can't fucking wait for this episode because that was one of the coolest finales darkest weirdest fucked up finales i've ever seen in a movie in my life it nailed because i was wondering i was like how is this gonna end what what is the end game here what's the landing are they gonna nail it this could make the movie from a 10 to a 9 for me or even to an 8 if you don't really nail that shit and it exceeded my expectations and i was so happy with how fucked up it was and yeah when he's when he's like looking at the water like ah it got a little higher you know like I can find time to escape tomorrow. Like there, and then seven years go by. It's just one of the most incredible, incredible things I've ever seen, man. I love this movie to death. It's immediately, immediately one of my favorite 60s movies, right up there with you know Psycho and Rosemary's Baby, shit like that. That's just real fucked up. Um, yeah, I, I can't say enough about about my experience with this, and I, I will be watching it again someday. That's for sure. Yeah, the balls to end this movie like that with no closure, just being like, you know, he never he never took that step. I mean, when he when they leave the ladder down and he walks towards it, when he grabs the ladder, it like it almost looked like he was trying to pull it down. Yeah. Like he was like on gotta get rid of yeah. it. Yeah, like this is you know, I don't want like I it's not like he doesn't want to escape, it's like he doesn't want the opportunity. <laughs> he doesn't want to have to make that decision anymore. Yeah, like it's too heavy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he walks around for a bit and, you know, it's like he goes where it's safe and warm. Like, Jesus Christ, what have they done to this man? Yeah, they've completely robbed him of, of any humanity. 
it's great. It's really, it's a really, really amazing ending. Uh, and you know, I think that's the best bit of his performance is how whacked out he looks at the end of the movie. Uh, just this guy who, yeah, again, went to study bugs. And when he goes down the ladder, the first time at the beginning of the movie, he says out loud, this is quite an adventure. <laughs> then, You're not you know, wrong. How, for, how foreshadowing. Yeah. That seven years later, he'd still be there. Yeah. It's, you know, a, a nihilistic ending. I, you know, I, I have a, I have a mix, I have mixed feelings about him. Like you really got to earn it. You got to mm-hmm. earn the right to just spit in my face at the end of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> but this film did this, this film earned it. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. A happy ending was not going to happen. It's it's just no not thanks. Realistic. No thanks. Yeah, someone's got to shovel that sand. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're certainly not going to do it. Yeah, what are we going to do if we if the sand keeps going into the hut? The hut's going to, you know, what's uh, how am I going to know if the water keeps you know rising? I got to know <laughs> that ju- that like justification of like, well, if I leave, no one's going to test this water theory, and I can't have that. Yeah, woof. What am I just gonna go back to Tokyo and forget about this? <laughs> Come on, call me crazy. But <laughs> that kind of just you know, like spiritual lobotomy that he got. It's it's wild. Oh, I love it. I fucking love it, man. Uh, this is a blast. <laughs> uh well, uh this has been some of my favorite award giving because again, we both seen this movie for the first time just, just last night. Uh and so that always always gives you like an extra umph to kind of bring something special, your own perspective on it, because, you know, we've done movies that we've both seen 50 times on this show. And this is just different. I like, I like doing both. Trust me. I love doing the toy stories and the Lord of the Rings and, you know, the massive movies that we both care about, but there's something different and cool about doing a a foreign Japanese, you know, sixties movie that is somehow like right up our alley. Yeah, the blind watches are always my favorite on, on all of our shows. When I don't know what to expect, I always love getting to talk about it because it's, you know, it's fresh and it's new to me. And that's a cool conversation to have. I, I love that. Yeah. Same here, man. Same here. So this is great. Uh, before we get out of here, I do want to just kind of look at this is Oscar Sunday. So let's look at how Woman in the Dunes got on this show. Uh, the 37th Academy Awards, uh, Woman in the Dunes was up for Best Foreign Language Film against The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. It's from France. I'm not really sure how to say that. Uh, Israel's Sala. Uh, Sweden's Raven's End. And the winner from Italy, Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow, which is a movie I've always wanted to see. So that's on my radar for sure. If it beat Woman in the Dunes, then I need to know need to know how. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I know nothing about any of these films it's just it's the one category every year where i'm almost completely in the dark unless there's like one that everyone's been talking about yeah i, I know exactly what you mean like uh like parasite of course or um what's like what's like an older one that you kind of know or like even like a fellini movie you know when, when you yeah. hear that name or, or godard you're kind of like okay yeah i, I kind of yeah. gonna understand what this one is that about. comes to mind like it was very popular is a city of god oh i love that movie yeah yeah, yeah. Good call. Yeah. Good call. Yeah, yesterday, today, and tomorrow is from. It's funny. It's from 1963. So this is competing two years after. Uh, this is a uh, uh, Vittorio De, De Sica. He's 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 a big name, and it's got um, uh, Sophia Loren in it. Uh, oh, she's okay. yeah. 
So it's it's a movie that I know. I guess yeah, I, I I've got to see this. It's it's something that I feel like is is right in my wheelhouse. It's like a three short stories into one movie, and you know, kind of has different uh, themes going on. So I'd love to see it. I like Sophia a lot. I think she's one of the more interesting performers from the, from that era. So, and it won, it won best foreign language film. So I, I always want to see those winners and maybe we'll do it on the show one day. You never know. But uh woman in the dunes, again, weird stuff going on with the release date of uh, when it actually comes out in, you know, in the United States. So it didn't compete for the other categories until the following ceremony, the 38th Academy Awards. And it was just up for best director for uh, Hiroshi Teshigahara. Uh, he went against David Lean, for Dr. Zhivago, John Schlesinger for Darling, Oof. fucking William Wyler for The Collector, Fuck. And, and the winner, Robert Weiss, for The Sound of Music. So it's a big group. For him to even get in there is a big deal. That is huge. Those are yeah. giant names for the yeah. 60s. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Good for yeah, him. And, I, I would consider Robert, that a personal triumph even if I didn't win. I agree. I agree with you. I was going to say kind of the same thing. I mean, Robert Weiss wasn't going to lose that shit. So like sound of music fucking triumphed through this, through this ceremony. And, uh, you know, obviously won won the big one. So cool that it got there. Now I do wish there were a couple other nominations. I think best actress, I think, you know, Kyoko Kishida has, has a case. I think they really both do. I think screenplay has a case. You can make, but I think the main one is cinematography. I think cinematography, because not only cinematography, but they divvied it up back in the day. They divvied it up by black and white and color. It's like, all right, there's 10 fucking movies up for cinematography. One of the dunes. I, I haven't seen these other movies. Uh, Ship of Fools, In Harm's Way, King Rat, uh, Moraturi, and Apache Blue. I haven't seen these movies, but Conrad Hall, my guy. Uh, he's he's one of the guys up there, so I'm not taking him away. But I do think you got to put Woman of the Dunes in this category. He's just the coolest part of the film. Yeah, you're right. The way this movie's filmed is is unique and powerful. And you know, we talked a lot about how much it affected us on like a personal level. Uh, so yeah, this deserved to be there 100 for cinematography. I would also throw in best score. Oh yeah, um, I would even think you know production design. I mean, that shack, you know, is pretty much where we're at exclusively, but it's, it's, a, it's a powerful character in itself. And yeah. Yeah, yeah I think this, this could have made way more of a splash. Yeah, and I'm really excited to one day do a proper Best Picture showdown with The Sound of Music, Darling, Dr. Zhivago, Ship of Fools, and A Thousand Clowns to see if Woman of the Dunes deserves a spot over those movies. Yeah. That's, uh, that's always interesting. I'm particularly interested in the collector. That's a film I've been after for quite some time because just the, yeah, the, the the history and legend of that film is dark as shit, and I wanna I wanna experience it for myself. I just have I, to find it. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, man. Yeah, that's why we do this show. You know, we find those gems and give them a whirl. Uh, I believe this is also the year that Cat Baloo came out. I think that's Sterling Hayden's only. Oscar nomination. Let me let me make sure about that. Uh, he'd be, I think. I, I'm not 100. Uh, yeah, I like Lee that. Marvin Capaloo, best actor. So yeah. Okay, Lee Marvin. Yeah, yeah. Lee Marvin's only, and he won. He won. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think 
I think that's a movie that I, I, you know I've always wanted to talk about at, at great length. You got you got him beating Richard Burton, Lawrence Olivier, Rod Steiger, and Oscar Werner. It's, it's a cool group. Interesting um, actor in supporting role. Yeah, these are I could look at these all day. You know, just kind of fuck around. So it's it's always fun to go back after doing a ceremony and doing a movie like Woman of the Dunes that we both liked, responded to. It's fun to go back and do a Best Picture Showdown. And kind of rank it up against the ones we're going to talk about on that episode. So I, that'll be fun. One day we'll do that. Yeah, that'll be a blast. Uh, there's some heavy hitters culturally at this at this ceremony that I have to cross off my list. And uh, you know, there's also some some negatives. I know like Lawrence Olivier's Othello. Tough watch these days. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good on yeah. uh, Lawrence Olivier, especially that one. <laughs> but uh, I'm so over his Shakespeare. Like I've seen enough. Like, I don't really get the, the legend of Lawrence Olivier. <laughs> Neither do I, man. You and me both. No. But, yeah, there's, like, Kapaloo I really want to see. Uh, the Spy Who Came In From The Cold, I just bought that. So I, I'm going to okay. check that out. Nice. Um, the Collector, obviously. Um, and Dr. Zhivago, also one of those, like, epic. You know, David Lean was the king of the epic in the yeah. 60s. And I, I, everything I've seen from him, I have loved. Version of the River Kwai, Lawrence of Arabia, great films, incredible films. Oh, yeah, Lawrence, oh, man. I'm sure Zhivago is going to be a blast. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely, that one in Sound of Music, it seems like those are the two, like, heavy, heavy hitters from that year that were kind of went head-to-head. Oh, yeah, big time. So, yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun one day, man. I love doing these movies, though. Like, this is the coolest thing about this show is we can do those heavy hitters and we can do these ones that are up in only one category, you know, so... I love that about this. Um, next week, we'll be doing a movie that made a huge splash at the Oscars, uh, the 90th Academy Awards, to be exact. And it's Jordan Peele's Get Out, the first black, uh, black man to win screenplay, best screenplay. So not only that, but, you know, he's up for other stuff. The movie's up for best picture. It's looked at as one of the best horror movies of the 21st century. I vividly remember seeing this in theaters and people just being so excited, you know, being so excited to have a movie that felt like it was, you know, just way different than what we're used to, you know, as far as the representation goes, the type of storytelling was necessary. It felt like uh, it was in a time where um, I think we, I think Americans thought that racism was in some way fixed because of who was president. Right. And then, you know, then, then Trump becomes president. It's like, oh, shit, you know? And it's, I, I love when filmmakers and creators remind you that that shit seeps in when you least expect it. It will seep in, it will take over, and it'll, it'll fuck up relationships and fuck up, you know, things that are going on. So I love what Get Out kind of represents, right? I think it's going to be, uh, sadly, applicable to our society for a very long time. Um, and I think we get a lights out performance from Daniel Kaluuya in this movie, uh, a star making performance. And, you know, obviously that guy is going to be uh, in Jordan Peele's movie next week. Nope. Um, and he's, you know, the guy who won, won an Oscar for Judas and the black Messiah. So playing Fred Hampton, uh, I'm super excited to get into get out, get into the individuals that are, that make the movie get into that. That ceremony is going to be a lot of fun to get into because we've both seen a ton of 2017 movies. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about Get Out, Nope, Us. You know, talk about Jordan Peele's legacy as it stands so far. So I'm super excited, man. It's going to be, it's going to be a good one. It's one of those kind of modern classics that 
we've had circled for a long time. We're just waiting for the right moment and Jordan Peele's back. So it feels right. Yeah. You know, I would have voted for Obama a third time. (laughs) Man, that performance is patronizing movie quote in history. Um, Um, Him him and Catherine Keener are amazing in that movie. They're too fucking scary. (laughs) Get Out was the third episode of the Filmgasm podcast back when I was just doing it by myself. And uh, yeah, I was then we followed it with us, which was the first one that we did together. I love that it was us. That's just that's just funny. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it's a film that, yeah, I've, Get Out has been like, this is just, this is where it should be talked about over here. And I agree. I I'm agree. excited to watch it for the first time in about three years. So, yeah, it's going to be a blast. Yeah. Yeah. Love that movie. Um, uh, but on Wednesday, before all that, Wednesday on Filmgasm, episode 198, we're approaching that special 200 where we're going to be doing some cool shit for you guys. Uh, we'll be covering Friday the 13th. I can't believe we've <laughs> not talked about this movie for this long. There are two titans of horror that I've been deliberately saving for a special occasion. Jason Voorhees is one of them. And if you have any horror love at all, you know what next week's is going to be too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a back to back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Caleb is a diehard Friday the 13th fan. Like, Maybe his like you know one of his favorite movies of all time. He's this movie's sacred to him. So I'm, and I hope, I hope I like it. It's been a long time since I watched this, and if I hate it, it's gonna be an awkward episode. So or or really funny, yeah. And then Colton will also be there, uh, giving his two cents on Friday the Thirteenth. This the gauntlet has been the three of us for the most part, and uh, it's been a blast. So yeah, this is this is a long time coming. Fuck yeah, the train keeps rolling, uh, and then on on Friday. <clears throat> Congo <laughs> Congo episode episode 29 yep going to the Michael Crichton well in between Jurassic Park and the Lost World uh, they decided to make Congo it didn't work out I I think I, the movie's got problems I, I'm a bit of a fan I love the cast you know see Bruce Campbell and Tim Curry in the same movie is a treat so I'm I'm going in optimistic I I'm looking forward to that <laughs> Hell yeah, man. That's good. You know, <laughs> that's good that you'll be, you know, you'll be ready to, to, to kind of stand for it in certain, in certain moments. So that'll be fun. Uh, that shows, that shows doing well. It's rolling almost to episode 30 already. Uh, been doing it for over, over six months already. So that's really crazy. Uh, and we're going to keep this thing going. So yeah, Friday the 13th Congo and get out is our docket this week. Crazy, crazy bunch, but we're going to have fun with it. So, uh, you know, follow us on, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Filmgasm. Check out our website. We've got reviews up nearly every day and keep watching movies, guys. We'll see y'all. We'll see y'all on Wednesday.